So you guys, that is uh, a brief summary of the Enneagram. Um, the Enneagram is, I was introduced to it by my wife about two years ago, and uh, I did a free online test that uh, we'll make available on our page if you guys are interested in taking it as well. Um, I've always liked, it's basically a personality test, right? Like a kind of like a Myers-Briggs sort of thing. And I've always liked uh, these sorts of assessments. It's always kind of like holding up a mirror to yourself and you get to see the parts of yourself that you really like but also the parts of yourself that maybe you don't like and uh, I've always found this sort of self-assessment and self-reflection to be like really incredibly helpful personally and Ian Cron is uh, who is sort of a bit of a guru when it comes to the Enneagram system says that the number one predictor of personal success however you define success has nothing to do with what number you are on the Enneagram, what has nothing to do with what letters you are on the Myers-Briggs. He says the number one predictor of personal sex success, whether it's in family or business, uh, whatever it is, the number one indicator of personal success is self-awareness. Knowing yourself, having an honest and under, uh, uh, honest understanding of who you are of your strengths and your weaknesses. This can be incredibly powerful for each one of us. And so if you're wondering, my Enneagram number, I am a, a three. Um, threes are driven to succeed. They are adaptable. They are charismatic and efficient. And more often than not, they're really quite handsome. <laughs> so uh, I was expecting more amens than laughter there. Uh, when I look in the Enneagram mirror, I like hearing those things. I, I really enjoy hearing about my strengths. But then I look a little closer, and it tells me that threes are too often concerned with what other people think about them. Uh, they are incredibly self-critical. And while they feel deeply, they often need help from others, like maybe a counselor or a friend, to help them understand their own emotions. This kind of ends up being true about me. See, I have found this information about my weaknesses to be incredibly helpful. It's helped me understand that even though I stand on this stage quite often and tell you guys to release your shame and embrace the grace of God, I often leave very little grace left over for myself. And even though I'm a deeply emotional person, I really struggle to understand my emotions, and I definitely need the help of a close friend or a counselor for those to help understand what's going on inside of me. I've discovered that knowing myself has helped me to become my better self. And the question, who am I, uh, can be an extraordinarily powerful question to ask yourself. And actually, I think the way that each one of us answer this question, who am I, can really set up the entire trajectory of your life. Do we acknowledge only our strengths, allowing uh, you know, pride to take over, ignore our weaknesses that, as they go unchecked? Or do we focus only on our weaknesses, constantly feeling shame and constantly feeling bad about ourselves? Neither of those options are good. And right now we're in the middle of this message series that were called uh, uh, Gracious Barbarian. And, and honestly, that, that sentence, the, those words don't really mesh well together, 
right? Uh, a gracious person makes you think of a, of a peaceful person, uh, someone who will give you the shirt off their back, someone who loves freely and openly, someone who puts others before themselves. And then the word barbarian kind of makes you think of someone who goes out and takes what's theirs and fights for what they think is right. And, and the words don't really match. But a gracious barbarian is somebody who is discovering the wholeness of who God created them to be. Somebody who knows their strengths and somebody who embraces their weaknesses. Someone who will give you the shirt off of their back but also fight for what is right. See, God made you, each one of us, a whole person. But somewhere along the way, pride and shame has chipped away at that God-given identity. And we've been left less than whole. And this morning, I want us to ask the question, who am I? Who am I really? Who was I created to be? And I could wait to the end of this message to tell you the way to find that answer, but I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right here at the start. You will find the answer to that question the closer you get to Jesus. The truth about who you are, your true identity is found in the outstretched arms of the God who created you in the first place because he created you on purpose for a purpose to make that point i want to talk briefly about a guy named moses uh, moses is a very prominent historical figure in fact he is so important that the world's three major religions claim him as their own christianity judaism and Islam. Moses' name is mentioned 120 different times in the Quran. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures uh, that's called the Torah. And the author Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew about the life of Jesus, he often drew comparisons between Jesus and Moses. It seems like we all know who Moses was supposed to be. Right? Who was Moses? We seem to all know. But the interesting part about Moses is that while we think we know who he was, he struggled. When he was asked, who am I? He struggled to know the answer. Let me give you a brief uh, summary of the life of Moses. Moses was an Israelite, and under the leadership of a guy named Joseph, you might remember him, he had the fancy coat, um, the Israelites became a great and powerful nation within the borders of Egypt. Um, they flourished and they experienced great success and they were becoming powerful, but then something happened. A new pharaoh came in, and unlike his predecessor, he was afraid of the Israelites. He was worried that they were accumulating too much wealth and too much power. And so he forced them into slave labor. And the once proud free nation of Israel was forced into slave labor, building the monuments of Pharaoh and living off of scraps. And this is the world that Moses was born into, a world of slavery, and it quickly got dangerous for him. 
Pharaoh was so fearful of the people of Israel that he actually ordered all the male infants, all the Israelite male infants, to be thrown into the, uh, the, river, the Nile River. And, and, and it feels uncomfortable to even say. It feels unimaginable. It's such an incredible atrocity, but it happened. And you and I, we may even begin struggle to even begin understanding just how monstrous this period of time seems. But the truth is that in the thousands and thousands and thousands of years since Pharaoh committed this atrocious act, the human heart has actually not changed that much. Like Steph said, this week we celebrated the Orange Shirt Day, and it's a day where we as Canadians take to honor the memory and the lives of children who were ripped from the loving arms of their mothers, who had their culture stolen from them, and whose lives were lost because those in power feared them. And we acknowledge the survivors and, and, the, and we and remember this attempted cultural genocide and we listen to their voices so we can hear the pain and maybe begin to pursue reconciliation. And it's easy to read an Old Testament story uh, like the one about Moses and Pharaoh and, and think that those atrocities are thousands of years away, but they are not. The only thing that has changed since then is that the human heart has been given the gift of grace of a gracious barbarian who died on a tree for us. And that is the only thing that separates us from the atrocities of a guy like Pharaoh. This was the world Moses was born into. One where those in power sought to destroy his culture, take from his, his spirit, and to take from him his life. And his mother, you know, when Pharaoh made this order, in desperation, trying to save him, set him afloat in a basket into the Nile River, hopefully that by some miracle he would be rescued and saved. And he floated down the river, and Moses was eventually found by Pharaoh's daughter, who rescued him from the water and then raised him as her own. And I, I love this comparison here that this chance rescue for the river ended up being this major turning point in the story of Moses. The same river that he was supposed to drown in was the same river that became the route to his destiny. which should have been his path to destruction, God used as his path to completion and this story always makes me ask this question that what is that river in my life what is that pain what is that death sentence that I have accepted and it doesn't have to be that way that it doesn't have to stay that way see the river can be the thing that consumes you or it can be the river that carries you towards God God is in the business of turning what was meant to harm us into his goodness in our lives. So Moses would grow up experiencing the wealth and the privilege of what it meant to be an Egyptian, all the while feel, feeling drawn to, but never quite understanding his own Hebrew heritage. His identity, it was confused. It was in flux. He didn't fit as an Egyptian, and he didn't fit as a Hebrew. And as an adult, his struggle with personal identity didn't get better. It got worse. 
One day he witnessed an Egyptian man physically beating and assaulting a Hebrew man. And rage and anger welled up with inside Moses. And he struck the Egyptian man and he killed him. Now maybe he thought, you know, he, he would endear him with his Hebrew uh, heritage. Maybe he thought they would look at him as a hero. That didn't happen. They rejected him still. And now he was on the run from Egypt and he was rejected by his Hebrew ancestors and his confusion and his identity got even worse. And so he went on the run and he fled to another land where his past just couldn't find him anymore. And he had abandoned everything he had ever known and he just made a simple life for himself as a shepherd. He created a blank slate and he began to build a new life with a new people. And time, it carried on. And he thought less and less about his adopted mother who had taken care of him. And he thought less and less about his biological mother who loved him so much that he, she, she went to great lengths to, to save him. He thought less and less about his people and his past. He moved on. A man with no past and with no people. Days turned to years. And before he knew it, Moses didn't really know who he was anymore. Can you relate to that? Because I know I can. And, you know, after the fire here in Fort McMurray, I was a total mess. Uh, the whole world was calling me and the others who stayed behind uh, to defend our city. They were calling us heroes, but I could not shake this deep sense of failure that was within me. Uh, on May 3rd, I stood tall for this city, but I didn't stand with my family. See, they were scared and terrified, and they had to evacuate the city by themselves. And I was nowhere. I wasn't there to calm their fears or to wipe away their tears. And I had internalized after the fire this sense of failure as a man and as a husband and a father. And I became emotionally absent. I became lost. And it was a long time before I was able to admit uh, that something was wrong. And it was a long time before I sat in a counselor's office and was able to say, Something is wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but I need help. It's incredibly easy to lose yourself sometimes. And more often than not, we need a little bit of help finding ourselves. In our story today, Moses has lost himself. He's just been going through the motions. He's been chasing sheep, even though he's meant to lead people. And then one day, as his sheep are grazing in the shadow of a mountain called Sinai, Moses sees something odd in the distance. And it looks like a, a small fire. And he turns back and he looks at his flock and he's hesitant to leave them behind. But his curiosity gets the best of him. And he moves towards the fire. And as he gets closer, he discovers that it is a bush on fire. And as he gets closer, he realizes that even though this bush is on fire, that it's not being consumed. That even though it's on fire, the leaves aren't being burned. I used to have a captain who was so old that we would say he was the firefighter who responded to the burning bush. And, and uh, he didn't like that very much. <laughs> 
See, Moses is standing here in awe of this anomaly, right? He's, he's in awe of what's happening when suddenly something happens. When the Lord saw that Moses had, Moses had gone over to, to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. He used his name, Moses. And then Moses said, here I am. You guys, Moses had been running for so long. He had been avoiding his purpose long enough. Moses had forgotten who he was. And here we see God enter into his story to remind him. God tells Moses that he has seen the pain and the suffering of the Israelite people. He has heard their cries for help, that he cares about what is happening to them. And that the time has come for God to rescue his people and to take them away to a promised land, a, a promised land that was for them, a place they could call their own, a place where they could be free, and a place where once again they could flourish. And then God tells Moses something big, something incredibly important, and it's something that Moses did not want to hear. So now go, God tells him. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses was not expecting this. He had moved on. The land of Egypt was just a distant piece of his past now. He, he wasn't that person anymore. The Hebrews, they didn't want him. And, and the Egyptians, they didn't want him either. And so Moses asked this question, a question that I think is incredibly important for each one of us to ask. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who, who am I to speak to Pharaoh? I was once part of Pharaoh's family, but... I've been thrown out. Who am I to speak to the people of Israel? They have rejected me too. Who, who am I, God? And Moses is literally standing in front of a burning bush that isn't burning. He is literally hearing the voice of God. He is literally being told that God has given him this great purpose, and yet he has become so unaware of who he is that he cannot even begin to imagine being part of God's plans. When you hear us say those words that you were created on purpose for a purpose, what, what does that make you think? Do you think that maybe I'm wrong? Do you think I'm just trying to inspire you? Maybe I'm just lying to you? Like Moses, do you ask the question, who am I to do something important? I'm just a screw-up, or I'm just a nobody, or I'm just floating through life. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to be a good dad or a husband. I'm just trying to get by. This is one of the most important things that we can learn about ourselves. If we acknowledge this one simple truth, that God made us on purpose for a purpose, it will change everything. If we can tie our existence to the purposes of our Creator, and, and not our failures and successes, not our strengths or weaknesses, instead see ourselves as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in this community, a people with a purpose, then we are moving closer and closer to being able to answer that question, who am I? 
I love God's response to Moses here. You know, when God, Moses said, who am I? And the very next thing God says to him, God says, I will be with you. But God, I'm not good enough. That's okay. I'll be with you. God, I'm not strong enough. That's okay. I will be with you. But God, I've made so many mistakes. Nobody's even going to believe me. That's okay. I will be with you. You know, I remember teaching my son Justice how to ride a bike, and I stood behind him uh, on his bicycle, and we'd just taken the training wheels off for the first time, and I'm holding the seat, and he looks at me, Dad, but what if I fall? And I said, it's okay. I'm right here. And it gave him the courage to do something dangerous, to take a risk that he wouldn't have taken, because he knew that I was there to help him. The closer we are to God, the more we discover about ourselves. The more we trust Him, the more we find our purpose. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and in a few minutes we're going to close with a song. You know, we started with this talk of the Enneagram, and it has been an incredibly helpful tool for me. Uh, the last two years to help me to understand parts of my personality. But the truth is, it falls woefully short in answering this question, who am I? Sure, I'm driven to succeed, but that's not who I am. And sure, I struggle with being self-critical, but that's not who I am either. The only place where I can find the answer to that question is when I'm in proximity to Jesus. The closer I am to my Creator, the more I embrace who He is, the more I discover who I am. Now, Paul is this guy who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament in our Bibles. It's basically the last third. You know, Paul was did a lot of writing. And his, his writing has helped people through the ages begin to understand who God is. His writing has helped people meet Jesus. But the interesting thing I find about Paul is that he actually never met Jesus face to face. He never shared a meal with Jesus. He never sat under his teaching. He wasn't there at the Sermon on the Mount. And he wasn't there when they caught all the fish. And he wasn't there when they fed all the people. And yet, Paul knew enough about Jesus to know about himself. And he wrote these powerful words in Romans 8. He said, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves like Moses and the Israelites, remember. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Who am I? I am loved. Who am I? I am a child of God. Who am I? I'm the brother and sister of Jesus. 
Who am I? I'm a person created on purpose for a purpose. You know, I, I truly do believe that one of the most effective strategies of the enemy of our souls is to confuse us about the answer to this question. To make us forget who we are. To make us forget that we are sons and daughters of a creator. That we are good creation of a God who doesn't make bad things. The enemy of our souls seeks to trick us and confuse us into thinking we are more or less than what God created us to be. And this morning, I want to encourage you, don't let that happen to you. This morning, draw close to your Creator. Reach your hands out to Him. And the worship team is going to play a, a song now, and, and I'm going to join them. And I want, I want to get you to try something this morning. Try, try something different. And take this time, this last song that we're going to play together, and, and actually ask God a question. You know, we can do that, right? We can talk to God. You can ask Him questions. And this morning, I want you, in this time, these three or four minutes together, I want you to ask Him this question. Ask Him, who am I? Who am I, God? Who do you think I am? What did you create me to become? And this morning, ask that question and listen for an answer. Who am I? You're not a number on the Enneagram. You're not what others think about you. You're not even what you think about you. Ask Him to tell you what He thinks about you. And maybe today you've never talked to God before. I mean, maybe you're not even sure there is a God that's, that is okay. You can still ask Him. I'm convinced He'd love to hear from you if it's the first time or even if it's the first time in a long time. You guys, let's spend this moment together. Let's ask God this question. Let's draw close to the one who created us and maybe just discover who we are in him. Let me pray. And Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are a good God. And that you have created us and that when you created us, you breathed life into our lungs and you took a step back and you said, I have made something good. That we have been created in your image. And Jesus, this morning we come to you and we know that the world and the enemy seeks to confuse us about this truth. And so we just ask right now in these, these moments together that you would remind us of who we are. That you would speak clear to each one of our spirits and hearts and our minds this morning and remind us, who am I? And we would lift our eyes to see you. We would put out our hands to receive you. That Jesus, we would know that we will find the answer to that question when we seek your face. So we set aside these moments now. We ask you to speak to us. Praise the Holy Spirit.